The Sussex Vampire by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatised by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. The last post of the day had brought Holmes a letter which, after he had read it carefully, he tossed over to me. <laughs> For a mixture of the practical and the wildly fanciful, Watson, I think that is surely the limit. What do you make of it? <clears throat> Sir, our client, Mr. Robert Ferguson, has made some inquiry from us concerning v vampires. <laughs> As our firm specialises entirely upon the assessment of machinery, the matter hardly comes within our purview. Hmm. We have therefore recommended Mr. Ferguson to lay the matter before you. We have not forgotten your successful action in the case of Matilda Briggs. We are, sir, faithfully yours, Morrison, Morrison and Dodd. Hmm. Who was Matilda Briggs, Holmes? <laughs> not a young woman, Watson, but a ship. Hmm? Associated with the giant rat of Sumatra, a story for which the world is not yet prepared. Hmm. But what do we know about vampires? Does it come within our purview, either? Shall I get down your index? Oh, please do. Anything is better than stagnation, uh, but really we seem to have been switched on to a Grimm's fairy tale. Holmes quickly found the reference in the great book I had taken down for him. But after a short, intent perusal, he threw it down with a snarl of disappointment. <laughs> rubbish, Watson, rubbish. What are we to do with walking corpses who can only be held in their grave by stakes driven through their hearts? Ah, but surely the vampire is not necessarily a dead man. I mean, I've read, for example, of the old sucking the blood of the young in order to retain their youth. Yes, yes, it, it mentions that legend in one of the references. But are we to give serious attention to such things? The mortal world is big enough for this agency. No ghosts need apply. I fear we cannot take Mr. Robert Ferguson very seriously. Uh, perhaps that other note is from him. If it is, let us hope it throws more light on what is worrying him. Holmes began to read the second letter that had lain upon the table with a smile of amusement on his face but it gradually faded away into an expression of intense interest and concentration. When he had finished, he sat for some little time lost in thought. Cheeseman's Lamberley. Do you know where Lamberley is, Watson? Yes, it's in Sussex, south of Horsham. Ah, not very far, then. I rather fancy we shall know a good deal about Cheeseman's Lamberley before we're through. So the letter is from Ferguson? Uh, it is, and he claims acquaintance with you. With me? It's in the postscript. Well, see for yourself. I believe your friend Watson played rugby for Blackheath when I was three-quarter for Richmond. It is the only personal introduction which I can give. Well, yes, of course I remember him. Yes, Big Bob Ferguson, the finest three-quarter Richmond ever had. <laughs> Always a good-natured chap. <laughs> I never get your limits, Watson. Hmm? They're unexplored possibilities about you. <laughs> now you had better read it from the beginning. Hmm. Dear Mr. Holmes, I have been recommended to you by my lawyers in a very delicate matter concerning a friend for whom I am acting. This gentleman married some five years ago a Peruvian lady. The lady was very beautiful, but the fact of her foreign birth and of her alien religion had sometimes seemed to place a barrier between husband and wife. But up until now, this had never been serious and the lady was as loving a wife as a man could have. Now for the reason for my At writing, this point, the letter became more disturbing. 
as it related the way the lady had begun to show some curious traits, quite alien to her ordinarily sweet and gentle disposition. Twice she was caught in the act of assaulting the gentleman's son from his first marriage, now a boy of fifteen. But this was a small matter compared with her conduct to her own child, a boy of just under one year of age. About a month ago, the child had been left by its nurse for a few minutes. A loud cry of pain from the baby called her back. She found the lady leaning over the baby and apparently biting his neck. There was a small wound in the neck from which a stream of blood had escaped. The lady implored the nurse not to call the husband and gave her five pounds for the price of her silence. I find it extraordinary, Holmes, that the nurse, money or not, was willing to keep this secret. Ah, well, uh, you will see that she revealed it. Uh, finish the letter first, Watson. Yeah. From that time, the nurse kept a closer guard upon the baby. Day and night she watched over the child, and day and night it seemed to her the silent, watchful mother lay in wait as a wolf waits for a lamb. Eventually, her nerve gave way. And she told the husband. But even as she was doing so, a sudden cry of pain was heard. As the gentleman rushed into the nursery, he saw his wife rise from beside the cot. God, woman. There was blood upon the child's exposed neck and upon the sheet. And when his wife's face was turned to the light, he saw blood all round her lips. And so the matter stands with the lady confined to her room and the husband half-demented. There has been no explanation. Will you see me? Will you use your great powers in aiding a distracted man? Yours faithfully. Yours faithfully, Robert, Robert Ferguson. Well, of course you will, Holmes. Yes, I shall wire immediately to this sporting acquaintance of yours. We'll examine your case with pleasure. Your case? Hmm. We mustn't let him think this agency is a home for the weak-minded. Of course, it is his case. Let us send him that wire and let the matter rest until tomorrow. At ten o'clock the next morning, Ferguson came into our room. There is surely nothing in life more painful than to meet the wreck of a fine athlete whom one has known in his prime. His great frame had fallen in, his flaxen hair was scanty, and his shoulders were bowed. But I fear that I aroused corresponding emotions in him. Hello, Watson. You don't look quite the man you did when I threw you over the ropes into the crowd at the old deer park. Well, you've changed a bit, too. I dare say. But it's this last day or two that has aged me. I see by your telegram, Mr. Holmes, that it is no use my pretending to be anyone's deputy. It is always simpler to deal direct. Oh, of course. But you can imagine how difficult it is when you are speaking of the woman who you're bound to protect and help. How am I to go to the police with such a story? Yes, yes, out of the question. Yet the children must be protected. Is it madness, Mr. Holmes? Have you any similar case in your experience? Oh, for God's sake, give me some advice, for I'm at my wit's end. Very naturally, but I can assure you that I'm very far from being at my wit's end, and I am confident we shall find some solution. First of all, tell me what steps you've taken. Is your wife still near the children? No, no. We had a dreadful scene. She is a most loving woman, Mr. Holmes. If ever a woman loved a man heart and soul, she loves me. 
but she would not even speak in answer to my reproaches. She rushed to her room and locked herself in, and since then she's refused to see me. But is she taking nothing to eat? She has a maid, Dolores, who was with her before her marriage. She takes her food to her. Ah, yes. Then the child is in no immediate danger. Mrs. Mason, the nurse, has sworn that she will not leave him day or night. I am more uneasy about poor Jack, for as I told you in my note, he has twice been assaulted by her. But never wounded? No, but she struck him savagely. It is the more terrible as he is a poor, inoffensive cripple. Oh, some, uh, some affliction he was born with? No, a fall in childhood and a twisted spine, uh-huh. but a loving heart within. Did you know your wife well at the time of your marriage? I had only known her for a few weeks. How long had this maid Dolores been with her? Some years. Then your wife's character would really be better known by the maid than by you. Yes, you may say so. I fancy that I may be of more use at Lamberley than here. It is eminently a case for personal investigation. If, as you say, the lady remains in her room, our presence could not annoy or inconvenience her. It is what I hoped, Mr. Holmes. There is an excellent train from Victoria at two, if you could come. Of course we could come. There is a lull at present. I can give you my undivided energies. Uh, Watson, of course, comes with us. Oh, most certainly. Uh, But before we start, there are one or two more points upon which I wish to be very sure. This unhappy lady, as I understand it, has appeared to assault both the children. That is so. Uh, But the assaults take different form. Jack was beaten once with a stick and once very savagely with her hands. Did she give no explanation why she struck him? None, save that she hated him. Again and again she said so. Well, that is not unknown among stepmothers. But did the boy give you no explanation? No, he declared there was no reason. Were he and your wife good friends at other times? No. There was never any love between them. Yet you suggested he was an affectionate child. Never in the world could there be so devoted a son. My life is his life. Mm. No doubt you and the boy were great comrades before the second marriage. Very much so. And the boy, having so affectionate a nature, was no doubt uh, devoted to the memory of his mother. Very. He would certainly seem to be a most interesting lad. One other point... Were the strange attacks upon the baby and the assaults upon your son at the same period? In the first case, it was so. In the second case, it was only Jack who suffered. Ah, well, that certainly complicates matters. I I don't follow you, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Possibly not. Uh, One forms provisional theories and waits for time or fuller knowledge to explode them. Uh, A bad habit, Mr. Ferguson, but human nature is weak. I fear that your old friend here has presented an exaggerated view of my scientific methods. Hmm. But does anything I've said make any sense to you? I will only say at the present stage that your problem does not appear to me to be insoluble and that you may expect to find us at Victoria at two o'clock. Once we had reached Lamberley, we left our bags at the inn and drove through the long, winding lane that led to the isolated and ancient farmhouse in which Ferguson dwelt. It was a dull, foggy November day, and darkness was approaching by the time we finally arrived. In here, gentlemen, and warm yourselves. 
It was a large central room into which Ferguson led us, with a splendid log fire blazing in a huge old-fashioned fireplace. The place was a most singular mixture of dates and places. The half-panelled walls may well have belonged to the original yeoman farmer of the 17th century, yet they were ornamented below with modern watercolours and above with a fine collection of South American utensils and weapons, which had been brought, no doubt, by the Peruvian lady upstairs. Holmes, with that quick curiosity which sprang from his eager mind, examined them with some care. And what's this? A spaniel that had lain in a basket in the corner of the room came slowly towards its master, walking with difficulty. What do you mean, Mr. Holmes? The dog. What's wrong with it? Ah, that's what puzzled the vet. A sort of paralysis. Spinal meningitis, he thought. Mm. But it is passing. Did it come on suddenly? In a single night. How long ago? <sighs> May have been four months ago. Very remarkable. Very suggestive. What do you see in it, Mr. Holmes? A confirmation of what I'd already thought. For God's sake, what do you think, Mr. Holmes? It may be a mere intellectual puzzle to you, but it is life and death to me. My wife a would-be murderer, my child in constant danger. Don't play with me, Mr. Holmes. It is too terribly serious. I fear there is pain for you, Mr. Ferguson, whatever the solution may be. Huh? I would spare you all I can. I cannot say more for the instant, but before I leave this house, I hope I may have something definite. Please, God, you may. If you will excuse me, gentlemen, I will go up to my wife's room and see if there's been any change. Ferguson was away some minutes, during which Holmes resumed his examination of the curiosities upon the wall. When our host returned, it was clear from his face that his wife was still refusing to see him. With him was a tall, slim, brown-faced girl. The tea is ready, Dolores. See that your mistress has everything she can wish. She very ill. She no ask for food. She need a doctor. She very ill. I frighten stay alone with her without daughter. I would be glad to be of use. Would your mistress see Dr. Watson? I take him. I know I leave. She need a doctor. Then I'll come with you at once. I'm indebted to you, Watson. I followed the girl up the staircase and along the corridor. At the end was a massive iron-clamped door. It struck me that if Ferguson tried to force his way to his wife, he would find it no easy matter. The girl unlocked the door and fastened it again once we were inside. Who are you? I am a doctor, madam. Please, do not be concerned. She like this one day, two days. I'm afraid she die. I took Mrs. Ferguson's pulse and temperature. Both were high. And yet my impression was that the condition was rather that of mental and nervous excitement than of any actual seizure. Where is my husband? He is below and wishes to see you. I will not see him. I will not. Oh, the fiend. What shall I do with that devil? No. Can I help in any way? No. No one can help. It is finished. Do what I will. All is destroyed. Madre mia. Madam, your husband loves you dearly. He is deeply grieved by these events. He loves me, yes. But do I not love him? Will I not even sacrifice myself rather than break his dear heart? That is how I love him. And yet, how could he think of me so? How could he speak of me so? He is full of grief, but he cannot understand. No, he cannot understand. 
But he should trust. Now, will you not see him? No, no. I cannot forget those terrible words nor the look upon his face. Go now. You can do nothing for me. Tell him only one thing. I want my child. Oh. I have the right to my child. That is the only message I can send him. I returned to the room downstairs where Ferguson and Holmes still sat by the fire. Ferguson listened moodily to my account of the interview. How can I send her the child? How do I know what strange impulse may come upon her? No, the child is safe with Mrs. Mason and there he must remain. When tea appeared shortly afterwards, a pale-faced and fair-haired youth with excitable light blue eyes came into the room. Daddy! Hello, Jackie. I didn't know you were home yet. I should have been here to meet you. I'm so glad to see you. I came early because my friends Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson have been persuaded to come down and spend an evening with us. Is that Mr. Holmes, the detective? Yes. That's <laughs> And what about your other child, Mr. Ferguson? Might we make the acquaintance of the baby? By all means. Jack, ask Mrs. Mason to bring the baby down. Yes, Daddy. The boy went off with a curious, shambling gait which told my eyes that he was suffering from a weak spine. He returned with a tall, gaunt woman, bearing in her arms a very beautiful child, a wonderful mixture of the Saxon and the Latin. Ferguson was obviously devoted to it. How can anyone have the heart to hurt him? I chanced at this moment to glance at Holmes, and saw a most singular intentness in his expression. His eyes were fixed upon something at the other side of the room. Following his gaze, I could only guess that he was looking out through the window, even though a shutter had half closed outside and was obstructing such view as there was. Then he smiled, and his eyes came back to the baby, and he examined the small puckered mark on its neck with care. Finally, he shook one of the dimpled fists. And goodbye, little man. You made a strange start in life. And Mrs. Mason, a word with you in private. He took her aside and spoke earnestly to her for a few minutes. Then he let her withdraw with the child, saying as she left that he hoped her anxiety would soon be put at rest. What is Mrs. Mason like? A heart of gold and devoted to the child. And do you like her, Jack? No, I don't like her at all. <laughs> Jack has very strong likes and dislikes. Luckily, I'm one of his likes. <laughs> But run along now, Jackie. We have to talk. All right, Daddy. Now, Mr. Holmes, I begin to feel I've brought you on a fool's errand. But what can you possibly do, save give me your sympathy? It must be an exceedingly delicate and complex affair from your point of view. Yeah, well, it is certainly delicate, but I've not been struck up to now with its complexity. Hmm? It has been a case for intellectual deduction. But as the original deduction is confirmed point by point uh, by quite a number of independent incidents, we can say confidently that we have reached our goal. I had, in fact, reached it before we left Baker Street, and the rest has merely been observation and confirmation. For heaven's sake, Mr. Holmes, if you can see the truth in this matter, do not keep me in suspense. You shall have your explanation, but will you permit me to handle the matter in my own way? If you wish. Is the lady capable of seeing us, Watson? Well, she is ill, but she's quite rational. Very good, sir. 
It is only in her presence that we can clear the matter up. Uh, let us go up to her. But she will not see me. Oh, uh, yes, she will. It just needs a few words on a piece of paper. There. Now, uh, you at least have the entree, Watson. Will you have the goodness to give the lady this note? Of course. I ascended again and knocked at the door, which was opened cautiously by Dolores. She took the note, and a few moments later I heard a cry in which joy and surprise seemed to be blended. Then the door was opened again. She will see them. She will listen. Excellent. Holmes, Ferguson, you can come up. As we entered the room, Ferguson took a step or two towards his wife, who had raised herself in the bed. My dear. But she held out her hand to repulse him, and he sat in an armchair. Holmes seated himself beside him after bowing to the lady, who looked at him with wide-eyed amazement. I think we can dispense with Dolores. I want to remain. Yes, I would rather she stayed. Very well, madam, if you wish. Now, Mr. Ferguson, my methods are to be short and direct. The swiftest surgery is the least painful. Let me first say what will ease your mind. Your wife is a very good, a very loving, and a very ill-used woman. There, you see? Prove that, Mr. Holmes, and I'm your debtor forever. I will do so. But in so doing, I must wound you deeply in another direction. I care nothing so long as you clear my wife. Everything on earth is insignificant compared to that. Yeah, let me tell you, then, the train of reasoning which passed through my mind in Baker Street. Uh, the idea of a vampire was, of course, absurd. Such things do not happen in criminal practice in England. Mm. And yet your observation was precise. You had seen the lady with the blood upon her lips. I did. Did it not occur to you that a bleeding womb may be sucked for some other purpose than to draw the blood from it? Uh, was there not a queen in English history who sucked such a womb to draw poison from it? Poison? A South American household? My instinct felt the presence of those weapons upon the wall before my eyes ever saw them. If the child were pricked with one of those arrows with a head dipped in curare or some other devilish drug, it would mean death if the venom were not sucked out. So that was your interest in the dog. If one were to use such a poison, would one not try it first in order to see it had not lost its power? Mm. Yeah, I did not foresee the dog, uh, but at least I understood him, and he fitted into my reconstruction. Yes. Now do you understand, Ferguson? Your wife feared such an attack. She saw it made and saved the child's life. And yet she shrank from telling you the truth, for she feared lest it break your heart. Holmes paused. The expression on Ferguson's face showed that he oh. did indeed now understand. Jackie. Yes. I watched him as you held the baby just now. His face was clearly reflected in the window where the shutter formed a background. I saw such jealousy, such cruel hatred, as I've seldom seen before. My Jackie? You have to face it, Mr. Ferguson. His very soul is consumed with hatred for that splendid child. Good God, it is incredible. Have I spoken the truth, madam? How could I tell you, Bob? I felt the blow it would be to you. It was better it should come from some other lips than mine. When this gentleman, who seems to have the powers of magic, wrote that he knew all, I was glad. I think a year at sea would be my prescription for Master Jackie. Only one thing is still cloudy, madam. We can quite understand your attacks on Jack. There are limits to a mother's patience. 
But how did you dare to leave the child these last two days? I had told Mrs. Mason. She knew. Ah, yes. It was as I thought. My dear, can you ever forgive this terrible wrong I've done you? I could just see no other meaning in it at all. I wanted to believe there had to be some explanation, but what I'd seen so disturbed. Oh, this, I fancy, is the time for our exit, Watson. Yes, of course. Now, if you take one elbow of the two faithful Dolores, right. I will take the other. I think we can leave them to settle the rest between What are you doing? No, please, no, I want to stay. Please, I want to stay. I have only one further note of this case. It is the letter which Holmes wrote to Morrison, Morrison and Dodd. It ran thus. Baker Street, November the 21st. Sirs, referring to your letter of the 19th concerning vampires, I beg to state that I've looked into the matter of your client, Mr. Robert Ferguson, and that the matter has been brought to a satisfactory conclusion. With thanks for your recommendation, I am, sirs, faithfully yours, Sherlock Holmes. In The Sussex Vampire by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Martin Reed, Robert Ferguson, Natasha Pine, Mrs. Ferguson, and Susan Sheridan, Jack and Dolores. The music was written by Joss Sanglia and played by Joss Sanglia and Elizabeth Fellows. The Sussex Vampire was dramatized by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.